All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Without no doubt, this this uh, gentleman that we're bringing to the table is responsible for some of the best music you've ever danced, ever listened to. Um, of course, his talented family, the Silvers family, uh, have been in our lives for so long. Their amazing harmonies. Uh, of course, him branching out on his own to do production for like The Whispers, Shalimar, um, Lakeside, Evelyn Champagne King. So many, uh, so many groups, so many groups. Um, just this classic sound of boogie, you know, kind of post-disco. We call it boogie. Uh, he's one of the greatest and so, so, so happy that he took time out to come speak to us. This is Leon Silvers the third. This is from January 31st, 2018. Willis Classic. Here we go. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. I got nothing. Yeah. No, really, I got nothing. Yeah. I'm so overwhelmed by greatness, yeah. I had nothing. Roll Call. <laughs> Suprema, Suprema Roll Call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Let's see how I sound. Yeah. yeah. Now, do I sound better? Yeah. The second time around? Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. Call me your friend. Yeah. Because it's not two. Yeah. Only one can win. Oh, I'm glad I changed my God. I changed Suprema Roll Call. Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. Press up Suprema. Yeah. The show to be on. Yeah. Let's put some tea on. Yeah. And talk to Mr. Silver. Suprema Roll Call. Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. Paul Gilsman's struggling. Yeah. To write these rhymes. 
Yeah. Almost called a ghost rider. Yeah. On the hotline. Yeah. Roll call. Yeah. Suprema. Su- su- Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. It's my EM. Yeah. And I ain't feeling bad. Yeah. Leon Silvers. Yeah. Got me thinking about DC Cab. Roll call. Roll call. Roll call. Roll call. Suprema. Roll call. Two cuts. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Roll call. Suprema. Yeah. Actually, I love it. Says booty tape. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Gentlemen, that was the greatest <laughs> uh, contribution ever, ever, ever to to. <sighs> wow. Okay. Um, Come this intro, dude. I I I'm sweating over here. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm nervous. Is, yo, you know, I know we're nervous about this episode because <laughs> we didn't mock like. Normally we mock Lightyear's intro, and we we, we you caught a break this time because you came through with a deep, deep cut. Yeah, that's a deep cut. You went real deep for that I, one. I forgot did, about that. I did. I did. Okay, <laughs> look, I'm just putting it out there. Um, we're just going to go all over the place because the reason why I feel as though we commit to the show, um, yes, you know we're about the whatever the the, the teaching of excellence and and bringing people. And and expose him to the to the audience, you know, to audience that might not know him, stuff like that. But just sometimes you just want to nerd out on your favorites. And I, there's so much. There's not enough that I can say about the the, the gentleman that we have with us right now. Um, I can say that you know he is. I mean, he's such a genius, and every area that he's ever done in crafting harmonies and his musicianship and his songwriting. I mean, he damn near invented a genre of music. Boogie. He he killed disco. (laughs) For you. He literally killed disco of all the, like he invented genres and he inspired some of our greatest. I told Jimmy Jam that he was coming on our show and even Jimmy Jam had to bow down because of all that he learned from this man. I'm about to start crying right now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Leon Silvers the Third. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Pleasure uh, to be here. Man, you don't know <laughs> how happy we are right now. Like, we're just. Shout out to Dane Funk. Shout out to Dane Funk. Yes. For thank you, Dane Funk. Big up Dane Funk. My brother, Dane Funk. Man, we got to yeah. get you up here. Yeah. Um, we have so many questions about your life. Like, I've never idolized someone so much that I really don't know that much about because you rarely did interviews and things like that of that matter. But um, let's just, should we rapid fire or do we just? <laughs> we just, I want to, uh, let's go through the journey. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm going to say it. Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Y'all got to be proud of me. I haven't said that in a while, it's but true. I'm going to say it this true. time. It's okay. We'll let it say. Okay. So uh, I believe you're, you're, Entire families from Tennessee, correct? Uh, Please be wrong. So everybody just... <laughs> except me, Foster, Angie, and Pat. Where were you born? I was born in South Bend, Indiana. Oh, 
Oh, snap. What? So was I. Yeah. So I, was I. I wow. My, yes. My father was going to college out there and my mother. And I was born on the campus and uh, only stayed there three days after I was born. So I know nothing about <laughs> South Bend, Indiana. But I was, I was there, born there. And he was there, he, he went, went to Tennessee. Tennessee. He was there for three days. I was there for three years. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you were born in South Bend? Yeah, yeah. Memorial Hospital. Wow. wow. That's amazing. That's, that's crazy. Um, yeah, so just... I just want to know it all. Like, talk about the the, the beginnings in, in Tennessee and and how music entered into that the household. Um, well, about Tennessee, I can't remember too much except uh, Roy Rogers. So <laughs> I was too. Right. After about two years, we hit the train and came to L.A. I think I was two or three years old, and L.A. is where everything started. Uh, Motown sound for me. Why did you guys move to Los Angeles? I think my father got a gig at um, what is it? Uh, uh, some kind of space company. Something he was doing. Some kind of work. Um, I couldn't remember, but okay. it he his work brought us out there, okay. and. Uh, uh, everybody wasn't born yet. It was just myself. Charmaine. Charmaine. Charmaine's the eldest sister? And you're the eldest brother? No. Olympia is the oldest of the family. Olympia, I'm sorry. I and then Olympia. myself, Charmaine, and James, Jonathan. Okay. Uh, that was, was only four of us when uh, we, we went to L.A. And uh, it was started with me was the Motown sound. I... Uh, was into James Jameson on bass, period, and uh, Benny Benjamin, mm -hmm. the drums. Uh, and that was my start in music. I was taking hangers, acting like hi-hats. I took the drum, the little broom, mm -hmm. the sweeping part, used that as a rim and snare, and the box spring I used as a kick drum. And that's uh, how Whoa. I started music, right there, you know. That's where most people would take the broom and make that to a guitar. You thought to make that into a drum. Yeah. yeah. Was, were there any uh, adults that were uh, musicians that were influential in your life at that point? or No, just Jameson and uh, Benny Benjamin. I didn't know nobody. Yet. I was only about six or seven there at seven. Yeah. What was it about that music that called you? The bass. I, I got a guitar. When I was like, uh, we, we, we did a, sh um, we just did four-part harmony because I was teaching everybody this Laura Scudder's commercial back in the day. And my brother was three years old, but he, he held four-part harmony. So we was doing this Laura Scudder's commercial, and my father heard us and started teaching us some four-freshman-type harmony uh, back in the day, that yeah. high, high lows and all that. And so we did it real easy, and he got a manager, and they put us on, uh, we were called the Little Angels. Right. <laughs> and, and they put us on Spike Jones, Arc Link Letter Show, all these names from back in the day. And uh, that's where my brother, he was three when we did our first TV show, and he held, he, he gave everybody our parts when we forgot them. So he, as far as harmony is concerned, how did you guys even know how to notate harmony? Because, well, one thing I, I think our audience should know is I feel like the 
the one distinction that separated you guys uh, from any of your contemporaries, Jackson's, Jackson's included, down, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Stair Steps, uh, whoever was young at that time, was you guys had the most unusual harmony structures ever. Was that from not knowing? Like, who taught you those dissonant and chromatic harmonies that um, weren't average in... I think, uh, well, my father was into um, the Four Freshmen and the High Lows and all that. So he he saw us doing three-part harmony and one lead on this Laura Scudders commercial. Right. And I, I, I gave him their parts. But it was, you know, simple stuff like, you know. And uh, he saw we can hold the note and not get off. So he started giving us harder songs, uh, uh, songs like It's a Blue World and... Uh, um, well, I forgot the name of those songs, mm-hmm. but uh, it was four and five part harmony, and we stayed on it and didn't get off. I don't know why. Uh, my mother was could have been an opera singer; she was studying for a minute, so I guess that's why we um, uh, we just felt we can do it, and we just did it. You know, it wasn't no why or whatever. We just did it, stayed on the notes. And I actually was the worst holding the note. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. James was the best. And then it, it was uh, uh, Charmaine, then Olympia, then me. I was last. I always would forget my note, you know. But James had the uh, ear for holding the notes, and he was the youngest. What year was this? This was, I was like... I was like seven, six. But I mean, like, in what year was it? Like, uh, probably was it the 60s, 70s? 59 or something like I was born in 53. So, okay. Around 59 or something like that or 60. So, there there, there wasn't even a, a template out at the time to, or well, besides maybe Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, which is more like 57, 50. But there were no kids groups or that sort of thing to even. Uh, no, just Frank and Lyman. What's the name sound kind of like a kid? Uh, little Anthony back then. Ah, uh, Little Anthony yeah. Imperials. I listened to him for a minute, yeah. yeah. So were you guys instantly in pursuit of the next level, which is to find a record deal, or was it just like, eh, we did this television show and that's it? Well, back then we didn't have no leads. It was all harmony. So... We would just stand there and sing. No personality, no charisma, <laughs> nothing. Just singing, right. holding the notes. And we were so young that I guess the crowd thought it was amazing that we were singing that kind of stuff. But we was just ready to get off the stage and go play kind of thing. But I loved music. I was the one teaching them and actually sometimes making them sing. But, <laughs> but I got into the Motown thing, and then from there, we didn't get into seriously making uh, moves to record companies till I was around, I guess, 13 or 14 or 15, something like that. Uh, because that's when, when the Jacksons came out. Mm-hmm. That's when I got serious, and I started teaching Edmund uh, my brother, because he had the most powerful voice, and I was, he said, I can't sing. I said, well, just nothing, you, ain't, you won't do nothing unless you practice it. He had the tone, so I worked with him every day and practiced till after a year or so, he was riffing and all that, you know. So uh, all your brothers and sisters are 
literally coming out the wound one by one during this period. Yeah. <laughs> you're just waiting for them to get of age and like, okay, Every, your part is this. And- everybody, there was nobody that came in my family that couldn't hold a harmony note. They could do that before they could do a lead. We had to practice our leads. Uh, so as far as when I give them a part, they'd hold it. And then when you sing to somebody else's part, they would keep it and never blend in to the other person's part or anything like that. We all had that, I guess. But the leads we had to work on. And Edmund worked, uh, him and Foster, but Edmund worked the hardest. Uh, and his tone reaped the benefits because um, I worked at it at home. And then when we got with Freddie Perrin, uh, he he heard Edmund's voice right off the bat. So, Every, but that was during the capital years. Exactly. Like when you were on Pride. Yeah, I'm who, jumping a okay. too fast. <laughs> Go ahead. I, so what label was Pride associated with? MGM. MGM. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, a friend of Mike Curb, which was Mike Viener. Curb. Mike Curb was running MGM when we were signed. And he was only 24 years old. Wow. Wait, wow. so the Mike Curb congregation? Oh, that's yeah. one of my favorite break pieces exactly. of all time. Exactly. <laughs> the... Come on down, uh, do do do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, he was cool. He he uh, he was the one that uh, really hit me with the commercial thing because I was doing, I was really kind of into back then that social conscious type uh, writing. Uh, the you know because the Black Panthers was out and all that stuff. So socially conscious music was kind of in, and I was into that mm-hmm. uh, uh, from a third group from. This uh, no, this history teacher, Mr. Simon, but he was the one that told me, "Well, Leon, your uh, your music has to be more commercial, you know." And and I was on that tip, like, "Well, what do you know? You only do pop music, you right. know, you know, because we knew how Mo, I mean, MGM was as far as Motown was." And he's like, "You're right, but even if I do pop music, it has to be commercial. You're doing R and B." It's, it's got to be as commercial. And I didn't want to hear that, but I did. And I started changing after I had that meeting because he wanted to give, he, he made up pride after that. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, okay. he told us to do this song called Got What It Takes, an old Barry Gordy song. Okay. And he wanted us to do it, and we did it, and it, you know, it wasn't nothing. You know, it didn't do nothing. And uh, this meeting with me, I didn't know it at the time, was to get inside whoever was uh, the head of leader of the group type of thing. And uh, I was more like trying to tell him, uh, we know what we're doing, just let us do it. Because I realized they put us on the shelf for the Osmonds mm. because they didn't That's want... That's right, the Osmonds were your labor mates. Yeah, but oh. we didn't know that when we signed. Oh. And they didn't tell, you know, we just, we didn't have no records out for a year. We didn't even go in the studio for a long time after the Osmonds was out. But, you know, I understand the marketing thing, you know. Uh, They didn't want no other competition out there. And uh, we were a family group that could sing harmony and all that, so they signed us. Well, then I got to ask, then, if, if, because I know with One Bad Apple, not at one point did MGM say, hmm, this sounds close like ABC. All right, Silvers, here you go. Like, this should be for you instead of the Osmonds or... No, the Osmonds were signed already. And they were specially targeted to be the off the other side, a white group, family group, 
in a black family group. That was, I understand the marketing after, but we didn't know that was the case till like, you know, years later. And I didn't believe it even after people was telling me because I wasn't caring about that. You know, as long as we can come out, that was my thing. Uh, so their whole thing was done and all of a sudden we heard them out and they was on MGM, nothing was told or anything. Uh, and it just came out, you know, and I actually liked the record. <laughs> I thought it was, you know, but Mike Curb was cool because he made up pride and, well, he got his friend Michael Viener mm-hmm. to uh, Incredible bongo run it. Uh, because Who? Incredible Bongo Band. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was a funny story, too. But he, his, they were schoolmates, Curb and, and Mike Viener, and he always wanted to get in the record business, and Mike Curb gave him that shot. And gave us, put us on a, another label because MGM was more pop than uh, anything. They never had no R&B groups on MGM. So Pride was the label that he put us on. Got a, um, well, Keg Johnson got a, a black promoter. Mm-hmm. And um, Mike Viener was the head of Pride. And we hit with uh, Fool's Paradise, our first record. Well, it was an R&B hit, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't get no pop play. But uh, that was that. And it, when we started practicing, we went on the road, and things were happening quick because we had the big naturals, and people automatically, oh, another Jackson's, and we had the bigger naturals. So, <laughs> okay. Can you clarify? How? Were those your actual naturals? Oh, or? yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had to know if it was wigs or not because like <laughs> they were so perfect. Like, yeah, like so, the yeah, silvers yeah. afros for me the real standard of the afro, not the Jackson Five. Like yeah. a, you know. Well, we we had a concept. I, I thought if you would, um, we would go to bed instead of with the natural flattening it up, we would brush our hair up and take rubber bands and have a unicorn going up <laughs> and wow. go to sleep like that. And we took the rubber bands off, it would just lay out like that. Wow. So that was our Natural concept. Natural secrets <laughs> revealed. <laughs> Yo, you think I ain't going to do that shit tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I only oh. braid my hair so it can have that effect. I, I was like, damn, I could just unicorn my shit. Hey, we'll wake up looking like Don right. King. Maisha, you're fired. Thank you. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. I love you, Maisha. I'm only playing. Oh, man. So, uh, knowing or, you know, I don't I don't know how big of a presence the Jackson 5 were in you guys' life as far as, like, that's the goal or if it was some sort of uh, oh, yeah. eclipse. It was, but, it, was, it was big. Oh, sorry, go on. No, well, I'm asking, like, was there a thing like, well, until we reach the status of the Jackson 5, like, we haven't made it yet, or that sort of thing, and um, at least with the, the the pride records, it wasn't uh, openly said because um, we were kind of controlling our, we were writing our songs, mm-hmm. we were doing our own harmony. We didn't have a corporation like guys that knew what they were doing, you know. To so we learned everything. So it was like a great feeling each level of it. So we wasn't even thinking; we was just happy to be in it really and doing our own music so those prior records were was that you in the studio like just pretty much doing everything yeah, how much was that you yeah. and how much no, was that no jerry butler um jerry butler had three guys well two keg johnson and jerry peters working with his company okay. and he sent them first 
to meet us. And he met us at uh, um, Six Flags Magic Mountain doing a show. And backstage after the show, he he brought his records, I guess, that he wanted, uh, well, that he did want us to hear from Jerry Butler telling him to let him hear this. And uh, I had my bass ready in an amp, and we were all uh, sitting in a line, well, in a circle, half circle. Mm -hmm. And uh, we knew he was coming, so we was prepared to play our songs. And he said, I heard you all right. Uh, Keg did. And um, we looked at each other and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, okay, let me hear something. So we started playing Fool's Paradise, the, the rec, our first record. And I started off with the bass. And then Charmaine started singing, and we all, you know. And Keg just walked over to the trash can and then, okay, that's one. Let me hear another one. And threw, threw the uh, records in the trash. What? Yeah. In front of us. You know we liked that. We was teenagers. We was like, we looked at each other. Yeah. <laughs> so that was great. We clicked right off the bat, you know. Uh, when he did that, you know, so. So, well, even though buying these records and seeing the, the production and stuff, I knew that you wrote the songs, but, um, yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, how much production control you had of these songs. No, I didn't. I was learning then. I didn't want to produce. I didn't even play on it, and I didn't want to. He asked me, did Keg, Keg was the producer, but it was supposed to be, it was Keg and Jerry Peters that were the producers, uh, Jerry Butler wasn't going to produce, but it was his company that was hired. And uh, some things went down, but um, Keg was the producer, and he asked me, did I want to play on it? Because he liked everything he heard. Uh, and he was worried he wasn't going to tell Jerry. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but he, was, he wasn't going to tell Jerry till later. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Because okay. Jerry was busy, still he was still hot with his his career. He was on tour and all that stuff. So uh, we was actually in the studio cutting this stuff before Jerry even knew that we didn't do his record. But I didn't know this. I just heard it from a phone conversation with my mother, Mike Viener, and Keg. Because uh, Keg was with Jerry, and they were about to uh, get rid of him. Because Jerry came in and, and came down, and I remember I had to go in the studio, and he was telling me, now, this is what I wanted y'all to do. And uh, he played a, a way worse bubblegum record than <laughs> One Bad Apple, and I like that. This was horrible. Damn, it was bubblegum. So I was like... You know, I was from the Nickerson Garden and Watts, so... Oh, y'all from even, real L.A.? Yeah, I, I wasn't even trying to hear it. But I like Jerry Butler. So I said, well, yeah, we not doing that. <laughs> That's all I said. I didn't want to say nothing else because I liked him. I just, you know, let me cut to the chase, not play around. We ain't doing it. And he said, oh, why not? Yes, yeah, it's, it's too bubble gum. That's all I said. And um, he said, oh, okay. You sure? That's all he said. And I said, yeah. And he let it go. He just made sure everything went through his company. Uh, Keg and them was going to get fired. But I, I liked the way he handled himself with us when he threw the records in the trash. So I stood up for him. I told him, oh, if you get rid of Keg, we ain't doing nothing. Uh, okay. I didn't know what I was, I was, but I meant what I said. 
I was only about, what, 18? No, I was 17 or something then. But I was the one that everybody was listening to, and they liked Keg, and we were doing our own thing. So I just told Mike Wiener, hey, if you get rid of Keg, we ain't doing nothing. We'll go somewhere else. Before y'all got into the studio, how were you uh, writing your songs like Fool's Paradise? Were you writing them on bass at home? Just bass. Oh, wow. I would use the bass, excuse me, as a harmonic to the melody that I would sing. Uh, Always. I wouldn't do it as a, you know, a lot of people stay on E for the funk type thing. Uh, I would use it as a keyboard. I would always play Uh the bass, a harmonic to my melody. And then the chords would, you could you could hear different ones, you know, as you listen to the melody and the bass. So, are, are a majority of the songs that you write? Do you write it on bass first before yeah. you? Never on piano, never on. Okay, so well, that, uh, now I do because you know you got a studio in your hand now. Right, you, well, yeah, yeah. You know you can do anything really. But um, back then. If I did a melody, I immediately went to the bass and did the harmonic bass line because that was like my keyboard. So for um, a, for those first four, three or four initial Silvers albums, um, that didn't catch on the way that Showcase caught on once you guys went to Capitol. But um, was it at all shocking to you that those records would be discovered in a new light in the era of rare groove culture and hip-hop sampling. Like, because even though in your mind you might think like, oh, well, okay, we those first few records weren't hitting like, you know, our capital years, but for a lot of us... Yeah, that's the holy grail. Oh, my shit. God, yeah. <laughs> right like, I mean, the first album alone with... With uh, I wish I could talk to you. Wish I could talk to you. I'll never be ashamed. Like, yeah, so yeah. Close. There's at least like in my eyes, like that first silver records has at least six or seven, six or seven gems on it that we see in the light of sampling and how it's. Wow, so was it a, was it at all shocking to you that like some thirty five years later, forty years later, that suddenly like even in my DJ said like I'll play only one can win as. Wow. So that like, is it shocking you, at all? Well, actually, I felt great. I mean, I, it was like an honor for, and then I started thinking, how does that happen? You know, and then I, the only thing I could think of is, wow, it was young people that picked that up. Right. And I was young at the time when I wrote it. So it's like 20 years later, that same spirit and, you know, musical DNA, if you will, you know, only the young could hear that. Uh, Because I was like, wow, that must be it. Same thing with Misdemeanor. All those songs that were sampled, I wrote when I was younger than 18. I forgot about Misdemeanor. Right, right, no, that's that's a whole 20-minute conversation just on that song. Yes. (laughs) Well, let's start it. Okay. (laughs) Man. With, yeah, with Misdemeanor, like, how how did you come with that? Uh, Wow. I didn't... the bass came first. Uh, I was just, I was stomping my foot and I was just hitting. Mm-mm. No, I was just doing the first one first. Oh, wow. oh. Oh, 
And then I started repeating those two over and over. And I would hit my foot kind of hard on the ground Mm -hmm. like a kick. And I had one of them old, um, it was, um, I think it was a Sanyo cassette player. They only made one. Mm -hmm. It had one big giant speaker. It was a mono Mm -hmm. radio cassette player. Man, it had the perfect compression for that mic because I recorded that bass line stomping my feet with that cassette. Man, it was the best sound ever. (laughs) I did everything. I went and bought two of those. iPhone. Yeah, that's what the that's what the iPhone sounds like now in in sort of. I track a lot of my drums. I put the iPhone like on the floor like thirteen feet away from me and it's the same perfect Man sound. I just love that. I kept that cassette till it evaporated. Uh, you know, <laughs> it just had that the misdemeanor vibe on it, and I just recorded that and then said the uh, the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if I had the words already. I did probably didn't. I was just uh, 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 and I knew because I I listened to that melody lower octave with the bass in the same register. And it's wrong. It's, it's the whole, most horrible melody with the bass line because it's one of them notes that if, if you do an octave high, you can get away with it. It's, it sounds cool, almost funky. But if you do it in the same register, like an octave lower, the worst thing to your ear. You, you couldn't... I hated it when I, when I heard it like that. But uh, oh, I knew what I had when I actually did the melody with the bass line sounded great i just knew i had something that would people would like i don't know why it just had a feeling vibe you know and how old was foster when he cut that he was around i think 10 or Shit. 10 or 11 <laughs> <laughs> like exactly. 10 years old with the funkiest shit out <laughs> were you were you because of the 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 pristine level of musicianship um that a lot of the the Pride era um, records were under. Were you guys always using the same musicians in the studio, or was it? Did you have a relationship with these musicians, or was it just like, oh, who's the, here today? Oh. We we met them because we wanted to be at every session. So uh, it was mainly Chuck Rainey on bass, or what? Oh uh, man, yeah. what? Wilton Felder. Wilton Felder. Oh god, those what? two were the bass players. So on those guys all were just me- moonlighting, like? No, they were the top. Musicians. No, no, I know that, oh, yeah. but I'm uh, well. I'm just saying, like, oh, for my bad, what, my bad. Well, like, yeah, that's yeah. Well, Yo. Keg, Keg, and Jerry Peters, they were real good producers back then. They did, uh, Grace. What's that song that Friends Raising of Distinction? The Friends of Distinction. Yeah, Grace, Raising in the Grass. Yeah, they yeah. did that, and uh, you got me going in circles. circles. Yeah. And so Keg Johnson and Jerry Peters were formidable producers themselves. So. And Jerry Peters was a great keyboardist and arranger. So they knew all the top musicians. And I'd go to every session. David T. was main guitar. Uh, Felder, they'd switch up on keyboard guys because there was a lot of them. But it was always kind of jazz-oriented guys. Is Jerry still alive? Yes. He is. Wait, uh, it just hit me. Was it one of your brothers or, or three Somehow you guys were actually involved in the Jackson 5 cartoon. Edmund. He was Marlon's voice. Okay. Uh, He was the voice of Marlon. Yeah. 
Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You, you mentioned something. Um, well, a lot of us are not uh, California residents, but I have family out here. And you said Nickerson, uh, Nickerson Gardens, yeah, which instantly struck fear in my heart. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hands up. Uh, yeah. Well, a lot of the we're all in the same game. Video yeah. was shot wow. there. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. oh, okay. Um, how did that baby party? Yeah. How <laughs> knowing what I know about you know LA gang culture and that stuff, especially that being the most notorious housing projects um, in LA, how did the eleven of you escape that unscathed? Was it just like leave the Silvers alone? Like they're going to make it one day or? Well, no, we, you know, you had to kind of get busy. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, okay, we're going to do Soul Train one day and then come back and you got to fight your way inside your crib. Or... No, it, it, actually, we were we were singing then. We were learning and uh, building our um, our voices then. Uh, and I was going to Verbum Day uh, High School. It was a, a Catholic school in the, in the middle of Watts. And it uh, was 
the Nickerson Garden was around it, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went there to play basketball because I got a little scholarship there. And uh, we entered a talent show from Verbum Day. Mm -hmm. And actually, before the Brothers Johnson's name was Brothers Johnson, they were in that talent show, too. And they you won first place. Them? No, they didn't oh. even go to the school. But you could, if you had somebody that did, you could be in that talent show. Oh. And uh, we didn't have no band. We were just doing a cappella. So we put put about seven or eight chairs and put our one leg on the chair and did <laughs> and sung a cappella. You know, so we we got one second place. But there was a guy named Wiley Brooks there. And he came up to us and said, I have a friend at MGM, uh-huh. you know. That reminds me. Who arranged your version of Yesterday? Um, that that all acapella version. Who did that? I think, uh, I think, did we do it ourselves? You had to. I think we did. I can't remember anybody else. Oh, no, there was an arranger that helped us when we were doing our show for Las Vegas. Um, George something. He helped us out, but then we changed it. <laughs> and so you guys own. would still do the, the the acapella Beatles yesterday just the way that... Yeah, we, we, we did our show at the Rose a, a couple of months ago, and we kept that in the show. We put that back in the show. That That is like... Yeah, a lot that, of people that, would That's the most jaw-dropping... Were you professionally taught eventually how to notate music, or was it just like... All by ear. I don't know how to read at all. Wow. Dog, man. I, I'm going to learn, though. <laughs> That's, hey, me too. You and I can go to yeah, school again. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so even on the bass, that was just all self-taught? You taught yourself how to play? Oh, yeah. I was I was into Jameson. That that was the teacher right there. Wow. Well, For me. Uh, c- can we... Go to the Larkin Arnold rap, rap years to Capitol. Oh, oh, Capitol. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> ease my way through. Um, so how did the MGM situation, uh, well, not implode, but how did you guys eventually get the attention of Capitol Records? Um, um, I don't really remember too much except that. Who's uh, managing the group? At uh, When we were. On Pride, it was a manager called Nordy Stein. He would always try to chime in, and then when we didn't react fast, he would say, it's just a thought, Leon. (laughs) (laughs) So we we knew Nordy Stein like that. But he was cool. He got gigs, and I I liked him, really. Um, How how were you guys able to keep the the discipline of the group? I mean, because, again, it's nine of you. Mm-hmm. And you are going into uncharted territory of stardom, and you're in Hollywood, and you know, obviously, I mean, I don't know if you're the father figure of the group, but I would assume that as the eldest brother, you had to keep. Oh yeah, it was motherfuckers you know, in line, and you know, it was. I I didn't believe in uh, nothing halfway, and and I was a good disciplinarian. I mean, Foster, he was the only one that. Uh, really showed because he was into football mm-hmm. like I was into basketball so he didn't want to practice at all when <laughs> and he would cry and try to get out of it you know that kind of stuff but he eventually came through but 
I would do like, hey, I ain't getting on stage getting booed ever. So y'all, let's let's go practice. It, and we had the Jacksons to look up to as far as steps, professionalism, and but they were they were um, worked through professionalisms yeah. and professional people. I gotta ask you a question, okay? Uh, because by, I mean, ha- having seen you guys on Soul Train billions of times, and you know all your steps are immaculate and all those things. Oh, thanks. Did you guys ever work with Charlie Atkins? Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. So exactly. that was Charlie that, Atkins. That that move on Boogie Fever. That first. That's move, what I was going to ask. The left and right. Said, <laughs> that the left was right. Dude. That was him. We we I, we usually <laughs> would change certain steps because uh, some of them guys would get a little too feminine, and you know we was from the Nixon and Garden, so we'd be like, okay, don't worry about that. We changed that. <laughs> right. Uh, but oh, y'all were doing Charlie, pirouettes and everything. <laughs> Charlie, yeah. Well, sometimes it was you know yeah. just you too know dainty. One, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep it and, and we didn't. We knew which. Which one to to edit out and to put in? But Charlie's step, I said, "Oh no, that ain't going nowhere. You got to keep that. You know, just don't fall because it'd be a domino theory." Because on, on <laughs> it's so amazing to see the nine of y'all do it. And yeah. look, okay, so here's the thing: as as the Soul Train addict that I am, the 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 first minute of the show to me is the most important part of the show because it's when Sid McCoy is going to let you know who's on the show right. with guest stars. You know that. And the thing is, when they show the act that's on, you know, it's usually just a one and a half second or two second action shot. And as a kid, not knowing who the Silvers were, and it was like, well, guest stars, the Silvers. And all of a sudden, and you, see the, you just the see move. nine motherfuckers <laughs> like moving left and right in unison. I just never, that was the most magical thing. And the thing was, it's like before the age of the VCR and that stuff, I mean, I had to suffer for like 20 years just waiting to see it again. Imagining that thing and begging people, like, do you know Don Cornelius? Can I just get the episode of Silver Star? <laughs> and finally, like, finding that episode in Japan, like, some 25 years later, man. Wow. Like, I went to ball like a baby. But yeah, like, the steps were so immaculate. And, but again, it's like, how. It's like one false mis- one false move and it's over. It's all downhill, yeah. <laughs> like I'm sure, like one person went to the left, one person. Oh, right. damn! Like whoa, that, yeah. But we staggered it because we we learned. Uh, okay, no no straight lines. It's just so they'd stagger them, like being if the first one, second one's a little back, right. third one's up, back, that kind of thing. What would y'all rehearse at at this time? At this point in your career? Well, we had a um, a garage that we turned into a a little studio because I had a four track studio uh back then it was kind of big but <laughs> it was four tracks so we rehearsed their steps and our songs you know and and uh and the garage yeah describe working with uh freddie perrin who did he produce the the first capital record yes uh that was that's where i learned production and again, why not you like uh, I learned well. It, it's I mean he was he was great. I I learned a lot from him. Uh, but he did kind of take one of our songs. Oh, <laughs> but I mean it was like it's like we got through it and we were still cool after mm-hmm. because it was a song called "Stealing from the Cookie Jar." <laughs> wow, <laughs> rather appropriate. That was the title of it, and uh, the bass line was boom 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 boom. boom. 
boom, 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 boom. I went jazz on it on that third part. Mm-hmm. Freddie, after he played the song and we sung, it was going off and he said, uh, uh, play that back. And that part, we remember him playing it back because we thought, oh, Freddie likes, he's going to choose this one type thing. Then a couple of weeks later, he called us up and Hotline, he played Hotline for us. And Jonathan, your own song. And it, well, the bass line was boom, 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 And he went back to it. Went back to it. But Jonathan and Ricky, my brothers, they were like, hey. And 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 uh, with my man who wrote it with Freddie, um, great writer, um, he said he did like this. I, I did. <laughs> uh, he, they instantly knew Not they were me. busted. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost like he did. Uh, that was you know, but I mean, we got past it because I I was thinking, okay, if we the record ain't out yet, y'all. Ken Lewis. So, Kenny St. Louis. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Great writer. He, uh, I thought it was kind of funny because I was happy because, wow, I did something that dude liked. Right. But it was like we were minors. Well, I wasn't, but, but Jonathan and them still were. And they were the one more active on doing something about it. Right. And uh, I said, well, you know what? Let's just leave it alone because uh, – you can't copyright a bass line. I mean, either it's arrangement or because I found out, you know, and then the record ain't made nothing yet. So if we stop the process, Freddie Pan and him going to back off, hmm. then Capitol Records may drop us. Let's go on and let Freddie do his thing. It's not like he took our song. It's just a bass line. He got an idea from because it's not exactly the same. So I convinced him to say, Oh, okay. You know, because it could have been a, a bad situation because yeah. we, I was about 16 or 17 then. So, and Freddie was already, uh oh, you know. Uh, but he didn't steal nothing really. It was just an idea that he took because my song was totally different melody wise. So, uh, but we know how that goes now. Right. When you food for thought, you right. know what I'm saying? But, but I let it go and we had a great rapport with Freddie. And I learned a lot from him because he would work on one line at at every point of the song. And, and one time he was working so hard on one record on hot, Hotline, and I just thought he was was crazy. I was just, what the, what is he thinking? What? So I, at the end I said, what, why did you go over that one so much? And he said, well, you know how you hear a record sometimes uh, and it, uh, every part you start liking better and better. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it happens like magic spontaneity, and then other times you set up your chorus better. You set up your ad lib better. And it's like people listen and don't know they, why they like the song better. And and you get more people, and the more you hear it, the more you like that part. And I still thought he was crazy. I said, oh, okay. And then it got me performing it. Oh, like when you you, you know to... when you start performing, you there's certain things you know already, so it's like second nature. But in a certain part of a song, you like better. And I thought, oh, I like this part. And then it hit me. That's the. So I was like, okay, I gotta listen to this guy. You know. Can you tell the the day tripper story? Oh yeah, with Pokey Figure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That uh, I mean, that was kind of a 
a hard part of my life. I thought I had messed up because um, this uh, reporter for the Times, mm-hmm. Hunt is his name. He was he was a uh, he he put he cut up my words and acted like uh, I, I was downing Freddie Parent because I said I had told him well I don't like the assembly line production attitude, but I was talking about other producers. Mm-hmm. And then I said, but Freddie Perrin, he listens to my, he left that <laughs> shit out right. and put uh, Leon's tired of the assembly line production attitude. Right. And then he put in there Freddie Perrin's name after talking about something else. Right. Then he said, I, I, I quote and said, well, Boogie Fever's cool, but that's for kids. I don't like Boogie Fever. Like in passing, laughing like, but but it was a hit and it did good for us. They left that out and put Leon right after the assembly line yeah, production yeah. attitude, and I was. That you sounded like a hater. Whoa, man. Was, was that me? Oh. <laughs> Man, sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah, but also, uh, was that the first time that? Was that the first time you got to meet James Jamerson? Like, that's him playing the baseline, the Boogie Fever, correct? No, that's not James Jamerson. No, it was um, either Wilton Felder or Chuck Rainey. Oh, okay. Wait, that's Freddie Perrin. I could have sworn that. No, I never met him. I was at every session. I, th- I think was I at Boogie? F- yeah, I was there. No, it wasn't James Jameson. Wow. Okay. I don't think. That's on his uh, discography, whatever the shit I Wait played on the website. I may not have been at Boogie Fever's session. I was at the vocal thing, so it could have been could have been. Jameson. I was going to say that. I may not have been there on that one. What's well, on yeah. James Jameson's page? That Ah, well then. Uh, damn, yeah. I thought it was a moment like, hey, I've, I've always <laughs> loved your bass playing. And, and no, I. Have I, you ever got to meet him? I didn't really meet him. Oh, and man. I, I was mad when I. You know, because I always wanted to. Uh, I'd even called a couple of um, uh, uh, sessions that a pe- person thought that he was playing on because mm-hmm. he hadn't came out to L.A. Excuse me. By the time I got there, the session was over. And, I, you know, I was trying to just go bump into him and, and just say, because I never told him face to face, he's the reason I started bass. I mean, I got a guitar. We was at doing a show when, when we was the Little Angels mm-hmm. at that. It was called the Moulin Rouge, I think, back then. Okay. I don't know. It was that, that building that Nickelodeon was in for a while mm-hmm. on Sunset. They had a, a Christmas party, and it was us and Dennis the Menace, the original. The original. Yeah. <laughs> and we were backstage throwing a football, and then they called us on stage and gave us a present at the end. I got a guitar. And I took the two high strings off because I was so into Motown, and I used it as a bass. Okay. That's how much I was a, a bass player. I wanted to be a bass player, period. Wow. So was it New Horizons that you guys, like, decided to take control of the production? And, like, where does Leon Silvers finally step in and say, I'm a tripper story? Oh, my bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that, I, f- I forgot I Let got us off go of back. it. That, that was uh, um, when they were telling me about uh, Boogie Fever, and I said, I, I said in passing, I said, well, that that's, that's I think they got that from uh, the Beatles anyway, because that's uh, Day Tripper. 
So you can do a little bit and cut it off because I think back then the the copyright was in bars. How much you did the exact same thing within a certain amount of bars, right? And if you change it before that bar hit, you good. It's yours straight. Yeah. So that's. After the uh, stealing from the cookie jar concept, we thought, you know, boogie. Fi- well, no, that was after. Mm-hmm. So, well, we we I just assumed that they peeped it because I used to peep things, but I would never be that blatant with it. I would just listen to a vibe and do my own, you know, uh, of a song because there was a lot of Motown ones that I loved, and you know, um, I would do my version, but not blatantly copy the bass or the chords or i didn't want to do that because i i like my own ideas so well, was capital or atv music like hey wait a minute or what went on the like did they notice at all like no because he changed it before the bar oh before yeah. the okay mm-hmm. i see he that was it that i was see totally okay different. okay in your recording sessions what was your uh what was your approach or your science to tracking the vocals and like tracking the harmonies? Would you cut everybody on like one mic and y'all sang around it or did you track them individually? Well, back then we did sometimes the girls on one mic and then the guys on one mic, but it was all at the same time. Okay. Everybody sang together. I think. I don't remember us separating back then. Like later on, you know, when I was produ- producing, then I did that stacking thing different but back then we were uh they just would tell us okay girls charmaine back or olan back and when we all they sung on one mic and then we they would separate us with uh lows and mid and highs uh freddie uh, i mean yeah freddie perrin and keg so for the new horizons record and that meant a lot to me because I was given that eight track when I was like six. So I studied, <laughs> wow. it, I studied it profusely. But uh, I know that it didn't reach the, the the level of the Something Special album and Showcase. And knowing that you guys left Capitol after then, are, is it implied that, okay, well, since it was diminished returns or, or lower sales for this one, that you guys are just off the label? Or was it because Larkin, Arnold, left to go to Columbia? Yeah. Uh, I think probably. Well, usually when the A&R guy leaves back then, a lot of people who the new A&R want to bring their own in. So, And you can only have so many artists at the time. So if he don't like the group, uh, they, you know, Regime change. everything you know, stops right there. And our last, it makes it easier for him because our last green sheet didn't show too much. So, uh. <laughs> and that's, you know, I, I'm assuming that that's what it was. And uh, that was capital. I, I feel they made a mistake though, but that was in learning because we cut this song called, uh, um, uh, what's it? What's it called? At the concert or something. Oh, Don't Stop, Get Off? Yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> I we got questions that, about that. We cut that way before any ooh, ooh, record I know. came out. I know. And Y'all were the original sat, disco callers. It sat on Capitol. I even called the Capitol 
everybody from all the secretaries to come in after the after they were old, you know, to get, they were done with their work and said, we went down to each office and said, come on up, we want we need a crowd and everybody came, and we had them doing ooh ooh, then we had them do don't stop, get off. We had that whole crowd thing, and so you recorded that way before 1978. Well, that was the first one. That was the first. Uh, that was on the Disco Fever album. But no, but I'm saying when we heard, like we came from Japan and went to straight. I wanted to get home because we got tickets for that a Brothers Johnson, mm-hmm. Brick and George Duke concert. Oh man, at oh, wow. the Forum. So we wanted to make that, and I got we got back in town, and I just heard everybody going ooh ooh. It was the crowd doing it. Right. And I said, what, what is that? What? And they said, whoa, that's what they do now when they like something. And I was wow. like, wow. Oh. So I said, oh, the crowd likes something already. Let's put that on record. And, <laughs> you know, so that's what I did. But, and I told Larkin, this is what the, the people are doing. Right. So we, we guaranteed certain amount of sales when the public likes something that they done created and they hear it back on them. They, it, it's a done deal. Yeah. Nobody listened. That, that thing sat for about two years, about four or five hits with ooh, ooh, and it came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And ours was the last, and it still went number one R&B, you know, so. Yeah, imagine I, if it would have came my, out in time. Exactly. It could have been bigger, yeah. Mm-hmm. So even though you weren't, because I know by this time uh, you had formed with, uh, or at least took a, a day job with Dick Griffey, but... Um, you were still, were you actively producing your, your family's albums while still? Uh, no. Because you weren't a member, you weren't a full member of, of these Casablanca records. No, no, no. I was out the group then. Uh, so I was, how, does that, how does that work? Because, you know, you guys started off as a nine and then like, then you were seven and you were six, and it's like, how do, how do band members just leave and like I can't take it anymore and that well, sort of thing. No, I was kicked out of the group. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they leave. Yeah. That's yeah. Wow. Wait, what? Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it was like you know. Did they blame was, you for New Horizons? <laughs> no, no, I don't. It, it wasn't that. It's just I think everybody was growing. Their they wanted to do a step. Everybody wanted to do their own. You know, well. Because I was like, I took the approach as as leader when we was okay, what everybody got. I always, and I took that into production. I give everybody a chance to, let me see what you got. Do it. Let's do. Whether it's a melody or ad lib, whatever. I just prepare myself to come with it if they ain't got nothing that's worth anything. So, and you have to use tact. Because I feel producers have to be psychologists, Man. babysitters at some point. Quincy Jones said the exact leaders. same thing last night. He said those exact same words about producers. It's babysitting, psychology, it's counselor, it's everything. Exactly. So by this point, who do you, of, of, of your siblings, like who's, who's, are you in conflict with? Is it like, uh, you know, Angela, you you're singing the wrong note. You sing too flat. Well, or, there or, wasn't no one person other than, you know, when people get tired uh, and they don't even know why, they just want something different. Because I don't. It, it didn't matter what word I said, even when it's okay, let's see what, and then I'd, they come up with something. And then if there's silence, you know, <laughs> someone else comes up with an idea. You know, so I would always do, what about, and then I'd already have something prepared. Right. 
and and they was ooh that's nice all it took it was two or three of them you know <laughs> so and it was a lot of us so i i based everything off that and then if something's not happening i didn't even have to say uh i don't like that to steer the crowd they would say it or they would say well i don't know about that and then you just keep coming with it which is the way it should be anyway the best idea coming forward but after a while they were growing into what I already was. I was past minor, and I I was developing my own thing, and everybody wanted to do their thing, I guess. Cause, and then when I had that meeting with the with Al Ross, uh, he was, uh, well, he did. We can say it like this: he had a contract on us for half, and it was nine people plus my mother. Whoa. And that's true. So that that's why I said what I said. But I had a meeting to try to, and I told everybody, look, you guys are minors. He's not going to want a chance or show that contract to nobody. So all we have to do is, and I told mom, just be cool, because I was already 18 then. You right. know, so, you know, I knew, you know, we'll just kick Leon out the group and we're straight, you know. But oh. I uh, was telling them how we, and we had a meeting, and he got got up. He, everything was working until he got up out of the seat and said, Leon, I don't know what you think you're doing or who you think you're talking to and that kind of thing. Uh. And I was like, I forgot to tell moms, look, if he gets up and walks and I get up, don't worry. I'm not going to hit him. I'm going to wait for him to hit me. Then it's really on. You know? uh. <laughs> so I forgot to do that with her. So. Me from the Nickerson Garden, I ain't going to let no man stand over me while I'm sitting. Yeah, so right. when he got up and started walking around the table, I got up and was smiling. I thought that was enough. Right. <laughs> I said, uh, so what you getting up for, Al? And then I stood up and walked to meet him. And that's and when he stopped and sat on the desk, that's when mom said, okay, nope, that's it. Stop. Let's end it. And he knew what was up then. Right. Uh, oh, there's the week. Okay, cool. So from then on out, I was the bad guy. Uh, it didn't, mom was scared to, and that's mom's. I couldn't get mad at her because I wasn't, you know, but I knew I, we had that meeting. And after that happened, he was, I knew he was in her ear. And that's when I, after I was out the group, I went and hooked up with Dick Griffey. Okay, before we get to the Solar years, because I know y'all bursting, man. Yeah. I have one more question. What were your feelings on? Okay, because they did an album with. I mean, on paper, it looks like a, a, a dream. Because I think Harold Faltermeyer and wow. Giorgio Moroder produced. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they produced the the Disco Fever album. Yeah. That was the Casablanca drum, right? Yeah. 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 They, they did a song on uh, Dance Fever. I think it was called Uchi Kuchi Dancing or something yeah, like that. Yeah. What were your feelings? I called the Aftermath album because you were totally not involved in that album. What were your feelings on it? Well, I, I blamed Al Ross, you know. I mean, I laughed at it because I knew Giorgio Moroder had his boys do it. He didn't do none of that. So I said, I didn't know. And I said, I'm willing to bet 
that his boys did that, not Giorgio, because nothing in it sounds like a, a Giorgio Moroda production. Hit yeah. Production. It was they didn't have the great synthesizer lines. Exactly. And whole, like it was. It was just bull crap. And yeah. I said that's Al Ross because he has no vision. He just oh we use George Jones Moroda's name eh, we're done we're, you know he's all, he's one of them that was kind. always my because even like I even though I knew of that album I didn't get it in time but once mm-hmm. you know in my adult years and I got it and so oh George Moroda Harold Frost I'm like, oh this is gonna be a synthesizer classic album and then <laughs> they, nothing. It was- it wasn't even close nothing to nothing. I was like, well, because I was the, you know, he's a big time producer. And, and, and some of the records with Donna, Donna Summer, I was like, dang, yeah. okay, hot stuff. And that, that's cool. We can get some of that on, you know. Right. But when I heard it, I said, okay, this, this manager didn't have no vision. He could, dude, if you're playing, paying top dollar, you can say, nope, not this one. Give me another one, you right. know. Something or Giorgio, Giorgio got to do one at least or two. <laughs> right. Get his ass in there, you know. Let's and that wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Now let's go Man, to Solars. First of all, we all want to know like why Dick Griffey. Well, what kind of businessman was Dick Griffey? Well, uh, he was a cool businessman for his thing, you know. He knew how to. Uh, he was. He was. He had an ear, and he was a cool businessman. And at that time, I, I wanted to produce. Period. So I was kind of like would would work with anybody that <laughs> that hired me to do my thing. I played some stuff that we cut, uh, um, and I had cassettes of it to let him hear. And uh, when I met with him, he wanted he 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 loved what he heard so much that he said, "I got a group." Called Shalimar. Uh, it's with the Soul Train gang singer, mm-hmm. and he put with Jody and Jeffrey, and I knew who they were from seeing them on Soul Train. And he said they got a voice, and I, I'm coming. I need some songs to put around the single that they had, you know. And it was still kind of just coming off the charts. So um, I said, "Cool." So uh, I went in and cut, take that to the, to bank. the bank. Yes. Uh, with uh, Kevin Spencer. Uh, he used to play for the Silvers. He was playing bass for the Silvers. And uh, I said, oh. And the Silvers weren't performing then. They they had ticked the hiatus. And mm-hmm. it was. So I said, Kev, come on, let's cut some stuff. Because he was a bass player, keyboard player, and a singer. So, oh, man. And a writer. So I said, okay, let's, let me work with Kev on this. You know. And we went and cut that. And I had an idea with the... Um, the bells and the yeah, the cowbell and the right uh, t- timbali type thing. I wanted to put that beat on uh, another record, you know. So, well, the first record, yeah, that was. All right, y'all. You know what season it is? Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. 
I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How would you decide which songs went to Shalimar and which songs went to Dynasty? I'd, I'd wait and write it with the artist. Not okay. n- not with them per se, because a lot of them didn't write. But I'd wait till I get with the group, and and see what they what they had, what ideas they had, because that would differentiate. Even if it's one person, or if it's two that had a dominant personality, I I'd get to have something of the group, you know. Uh, that if I just created everything, you know, everything would sound the same. So I wanted to. Even though the main quality thing was there, you know, sometimes people heard a Shalimar record in Dynasty and Dynasty in a Shalimar record. But sometimes it comes off like that, you know. So was Bank crafted before you met Shalimar or you met them first, got to see their personality? and Yeah, that okay. was, I did that before I met him, I think. Okay. Yeah, Why? I think, yeah. Why did, uh, was it Gerald, who came in before uh, Howard Hewitt? Um, Gerald Brown, I think was his last name. Okay, yeah. What? Well, even then, because before they were a threesome, they were like a fivesome because they did that uptown special thing. You had nothing to do with that very no. first single. Okay. Actually, I did meet him first. Okay. Uh, but it was just to, you know to say hi type thing, because uh, Dick was more interested in uh, me getting in the studio because they had a deadline basically okay um so okay hang on a second. <laughs> okay I, I hate to ask this question because i don't know if i want to know the answer to it how much singing did jeffrey daniel do in the group <laughs> oh he did all of him all all his voice okay yeah, good, i didn't good. i didn't have to use nothing he would he would hit them notes. I was like, oh okay, and and I was that, just always afraid that he really wasn't singing those parts, and then like you know he no it was, was really just there parts. for the dancing and and he hung like uh, he would stay more on Keita and Jody sometimes. Wow. Yeah. He uh, he and he wasn't he was a worker. He, it was you know I'd nitpick so much that some of the artists go crazy a little bit. <laughs> Cause it's like okay, one more time, you know, and then it's like they they hear it's been cool about ten times ago, you know. That, but I was just looking for I'd have to memorize like some I wanted piercing and some I wanted smooth, and I didn't want to tell them. I just wanted to, and I'd set up the inputs on the record where they wouldn't 
hear a change. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'd have them singing, but I'd, I'd know the other one's on there, so I'd cut in, even though they don't hear a recording going in. So I would do it like that. Uh, and I got so good at it that, you know, I'd go in between the S's and stuff like that. So, yes. uh, Really? Oh, yeah. Pre-Pro yeah. Tools? Yeah. Man, you must have I went crazy doing that, too, because uh, I had to stop because, uh, you know, you, you, you expect the engineer to do that. You know, I, I did, you know, because I was like, hey, hey man, you, you messing me up. What the? You know, I had to get mad at the engineers, and he was just looking like, you you just in between an S. What the? You know? <laughs> so I didn't want to hear that. I just wanted to finish and get out of there, you know. So I kind of went crazy, on, <laughs> which wasn't cool. Kind of, sort of, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> There's a question I have about second time around. Was the rhythm... Were the rhythm tracks cut, not even the rhythm tracks, were the drums initially cut to another song and then at the last minute you changed? This is the only reason why I'm asking because the traditionally a drum fill usually happens on the four count that leads to the one, like three, four, and establishes a new one. Second time around, the drum fill is having in a very odd place which leads me to believe I was like either those guys are like math geniuses where they just decided okay on the three do you know what I'm talking about yeah I know what you're talking about yeah and you know the, the, no 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 I'm just talking about the, yeah. yeah it never happens on to on, set up the one right it right. happens in a weird place and I was like okay either they just had another song in mind. He decided, no, let me just take these we'll drums over that. <laughs> and do that. Actually, that one, no, that was the song. We recorded it like that. And I, Wardell would go, he was playing the drums on that, Wardell Potts. Right. And he would throw different um, <laughs> different fills at different times. And some of that, sometimes I'd say, eh, no, not there. But then I'd say, oh, remember that one you did? Do it the same way on the other one too. That kind of thing. So, I liked. It's just the, very if it unorthodox. Like if it didn't mess up the vibe, right? I let it stay. How would you? you know? How would you uh, tell, tell us about your process of tracking your drums? I read an interview uh, a while back with uh, Nicholas from the, the Whispers, and he was saying how you would track like a metronome for like six minutes. Oh yeah, I've <laughs> I've done that, but they had the song wrong. It wasn't on the beat goes on, and. It was, I think it was Keep On Loving Me oh. that I played the drums on. Wardell was supposed to, but he something happened, either a thing in his family or he couldn't or he was sick. So I was set up. So I would go back to doing the drums by the numbers, you know. You're your I best could, drummer then because that's my song. Yeah. <laughs> so that's you playing on Keep On Loving Me. Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, man. Man. I, to talk about working with the Whispers because uh, I know that for years they struggled with getting a hit. And it's kind of funny because watching their evolution on Soul Train, each appearance, Don would tease them like, you know, like, uh, you know, one day you're going to have a hit, one day you're going to. And then <laughs> that episode in which they do and the beat goes on. It's it's such an inside joke with them. They're laughing so hard because it's like, yeah, finally we finally got, got a hit. One. We got a hit. How did how did you uh, 
Well, how did that come come to I, be with them? Uh, I knew that. Uh, well, they were already they were a balladeer group, really. They had great ballads. I loved. Only meant to wet my feet and all that. That was great. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't even try to do ballads because I knew they had that covered. So I was okay. There's no R&B disco group that because mostly the back then when I first was doing that, it was pop groups doing that disco type stuff. Let's uh, all chant, you know that kind of you know. Right. right. <clears throat> so I wanted to do an R&B type disco. And I said, oh, I could do that on them. And all our up-tempo stuff, just make it R&B disco. Because there really wasn't that many, except for, what's his name, started doing it, uh, Sheik. Uh, Nile Rodgers. Nile Rodgers and them. But some uh, they didn't hit, with, I mean, they had that... Uh, bum, 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 bum. They had that one before... Uh, right. Uh, I, dance, I was dance, working, dance. but that didn't do as big as La Free. Right. Says, that kind of stuff. Yeah. They hone their craft right then. Up tempo without being four on the floor. Exactly. So, yeah, let me explain. Uh, I don't know if you know. No, don't like, talk yeah. to me. Talk to me. Okay. So, <laughs> the the boogie, um, the, the genre of boogie or what people call boogie. First of all, like I already know that. It's it's always some mamma jamma behind a typewriter that comes up with these terms. I was about or whatever. to say that's a genre boogie. I didn't even. Oh. Yes. So basically, boogie was post disco. In other words, barbecue two step music. Think of before I let go. Mm-hmm. Think of second time around. Mm-hmm. Basically, slow down disco. So if the average disco song is about one twenty eight BPMs. Uh, think of like you should be dancing by the Bee Gees. Boot 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 boot. Right. This boogie's more of a 118 to 120. Like second time around. It could have a four on the floor, but think of like uh make that move or second do the, time around. Do the do the boom to the boom to what's the No, but even of- even then, <laughs> the I mean but the just has a groove. <laughs> it the like a groove to, to boogie could still be and and the beat goes on, but more of a like a, the a emphasis slower. on the two and the four, like it's the yeah, yeah. You don't feel like you're on cocaine, okay? Like again, it's like <laughs> cocaine is <laughs> Sylvester's. Do you want to fuck with me? Right. Yeah. 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 It's a good sativa. Yeah, it's something right. that your grandma can dance to. I got you. It's 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 the barbecue thing, but the thing is, did you with with the the desperation that critics had to end disco? And all those things. Like, did you have this plan in mind? Because even when Quincy Jones describes his mission with Off the Wall and sort of like his production work with the Brothers Johnson, like between 77 and 83, he's describing like, we got to kill disco. Were you trying to kill disco at the time? Like, was this this no. convoluted plan? <laughs> like, I'm going to. No, I was literally <clears throat> trying to carve out. Uh... My Leon Motown sound, I guess, because I didn't care about what other people thought. Mm-hmm. I knew I had a ballad group that ain't never did disco. And I was going to do more than just the normal pop high synthesizers. and Because when I first cut it, I knew, okay, I'm going to go Motown Jameson with the bass because I wanted a unique type bass because that's why I went up with the strings 
because the kick was real low. Uh, So I wanted to have that, and I wanted to have them do some false things. And then Scotty's voice, he reminded me of, he don't sound like Nat King Cole, but his voice is identifiable like Nat King Cole's was back in the day. Like when you hear a whisper song, you know know who he is. And there's nobody else that has that ring to his voice. Mm -hmm. So I was using that for making the melodies, and I wanted to do a unique bass line. I wanted to put emphasis on the bass and kick. Can you please answer this question? (laughs) The the Scotty brothers, (laughs) the Scotty twins, when they're on TV singing, they're both singing tandem at the same time. Yeah, they do sound alike. Who is singing? Who's singing on Amity I Coast don't Oral? even know sometimes. No. <laughs> <laughs> I forget. But they do have the same tone. Scotty can just go higher and longer. Okay. Would you ever track them both together in unison? Or yeah. Would they... mm-hmm. wow. We did that sometimes on Emergency. Uh, yeah. In the route, not if it didn't. So, like, yeah, who's maybe your... that, too. Okay, but who's your go-to Scotty? Is it Wallace or Walter? Like, who's your... Oh, well, Walter, Scotty was the main lead when he get to high notes. and But Walter and both of them could sing, and I forget who's doing what. Well, after I put Walter on, then put Scotty, and ain't so no like high notes one in One of y'all there. just go in and do. I mean, he could hit some high notes, but not like Scotty's ring. And Scotty wouldn't, I'd very, when we did that tour, he, he has one of them voices where he don't get hoarse a lot. You know, some people can get hoarse, and it's a rap, you know. I never heard him get hoarse. That's one thing I I heard some of the other groups get hoarse on that tour. Scotty, never. But that's, I guess, uh, his style of singing or something. But when I put both of them on just regular verses, I can't tell who's singing. Did you produce Lady? No. Okay. Just and the, and the B that goes was, on. Okay, okay. And the B goes on and uh, I think uh, Out the Box and... Uh, I think there was two or three I did on each album. But you didn't do the yeah, whole yeah, Whispers man. album then? No. Okay. Keep Your Love Around. You did that one, right? Uh, Keep Your Love Around. Yeah. I did boom, that boom, with boom, Kevin boom. and Will. Yeah. Ah, I love that song, man. Yeah, I want to recut that because I, I didn't like all that echo crap. that On the vocal? That, yeah. Or on the music. The oh, snare okay. was watery. <laughs> I, I didn't like that. What's, but what studio? I thought it was a sound. <laughs> Did you use one studio? Uh, for the first part of Solar stuff was Studio Masters uh, over on Beverly Boulevard near the um, Beverly Center. <clears throat> okay. But after that, we, we recorded at different places. Uh, but mostly all that original first stu- year, couple of years was done all at Studio Masters. So what the the formation of Dynasty, did you have an itching to... You know, to to get to be an artist again and to be in the spotlight. Excuse me. Um, n- not really, but uh, the band that I used wanted to, and I used because I was using Wardell, Ricky Smith, Kevin, Will before we was a group uh, playing on all the Solar hits that I produced. I'd use the same people, so we became a group. Uh, Actually, before the beat goes on, because we cut that song in, we had a place that got us a room to rehearse, and it was kind of a rank type place. 
but everybody called it Doo Doo Records. Steve, <laughs> Steve Shockley of Lakeside called it that. Oh, wow. So everybody knew what it was. We rehearsed and I started cutting. The beat goes on there. Uh, after we, we, we made the idea when we was cutting second time around okay. in the studio. And Steve Shockley was playing an exercise, actually, on the guitar. Doing it as an exercise. And the bass came to my head, so I said, oh, repeat them first two, just back and forth. And I told Wardell to hit the straight kick and told the studio, the engineer, to run the tape before we was, we was there to cut second time around. But I heard that bass line off his, and, he, and then Steve started embellishing it. And the bass line came immediately. Yeah. Oh, so you try to cut something else and then just... I, I had the idea. I a side piece. And said, run, run the tape for about a minute just to get that idea on, you know. And then I finished the song. Wow. So did you just loop that minute? Just that. Nice. But nice. I didn't loop it when I recut it. Okay. We cut it over. Oh, you cut it over. After okay. I went through everything with everybody, you know. Uh, like, Will had the keyboard line, and, I, you know, we practiced before we go in the studio. Because I didn't want to willy-nilly it like that. I wanted you musicians, stay on pocket. Let's go. You know, that kind of thing. You know, so we practiced. And, I, you know, I just could hear tempo a lot. You know, I'd practice it. I could hear when something's off a lot, you know. So I wanted to practice. And we didn't have, I wasn't that technical. I was more of a musician back there, back then, you know. Hey, didn't y'all sample, John? Y'all sampled, uh, why are you blowing up a spot? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Nigga. <laughs> 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 la I would assume that. Oh, yeah, don't, 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 Anyway, it's time so, to do dirt. Don't call Quest Love. There was a it's a foreign exchange song. That uh that um that No, actually there was a Little Brother song. It was Little Brothers. What Lucifer song? I could have sworn it was either Shalmar was on Get Back or Left Back. Oh, I I know that shit ain't it was a what? No, 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 no. You okay? I know what you're talking about. You're talking about so good. We, uh, it was a, um, it was a whispers joint. So good. Oh um, yeah, yeah, God, yeah. God. Oh, attitudes. Yeah. That was um, that was Dynasty. Yeah. I think that was Dynasty. That was not. That was just a B side. That was just something we just cut and oh. that was in. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was. My, I mean, shit. I'm out here now. <laughs> there, no, there's another um, uh, a foreign exchange song that is heavily influenced. <laughs> okay, I see what you mean. <laughs> influenced by uh, that's what love is made of. Uh, just the harmony, man. That shit is amazing. And like, I didn't even know. I had never heard the original song before. And then I, I was like, "Damn!" Like, these fucking vocal. This vocal arrangement is crazy. So, 
Yeah, I've been heavily influenced throughout my career by <laughs> the work yeah, of Mr. Silver. Thank you very much. And uh, I think the statute of limitations on all that shit is over. <laughs> but if you succumb to me, you just be getting practice. Yeah. <laughs> those records did nothing. So, anyway. You're better off just working on a new song with me. Let's just do that. Because you ain't going to get shit. <laughs> Yo, so, I feel horrible. I'm sorry. I'm just going to find my excitement. Were we talking about that on the way over here? Yeah, we was in the in the damn Uber. I was like, man, I wonder if I should bring up that sample. And no one damn behold. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. That's Welcome my to, birthday twin. Welcome yes, to the indictment supreme. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, to Dynasty. <laughs> I thought I don't want to be a freak with Shalimar for the longest. And I did. so well, I guess you you already said your uh your process on deciding what goes where and Well, that one? No. That one was that was the first thing I spent my own money to go and record on this song. Uh it wasn't even I didn't know what the title was going to be yet. I just went in and cut it. I spent ten grand and cut about four songs. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I that I wanted to be in there by myself, cutting and you know, and uh, the engineer uh, was he was good help. He told me uh, how to you know what it was and with the engineers and all that. So this was right after I was out the group, the Silvers, and I wanted to go into the studio and cut. And so, so I practiced this and went in and cut that track. So it wasn't common to have your own facility at this time to like work out ideas and a place of your own and that sort of thing, or you just had to rent? Well, back then, no, I was just out the silvers, so I wasn't I wasn't living at the house because okay. I had gotten married, and I was me and my wife had a place. Actually, we we. Had, Got separated by then. <laughs> so oh, wow. we were, uh, I was uh, uh, cutting these songs on my own to uh, hone my production skills, if you will. You Your know. wife was in Dynasty, correct? Was she in Dynasty? Well, yeah, my second wife. Oh, the second uh, wife, okay. Uh, yeah. Do that. Uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, uh, but uh, that particular song was, the track was cut because uh, I just, wanted to get that music on tape because I had an idea. And later on, after I was doing Shalimar and all that, mm -hmm. and we got the group Dynasty together, I went back to that track and I went to a couple of clubs and they had a thing called, you know, Freak was the, the title mm -hmm. back then. And everybody was like acting like they was having sex on the dance floor. <laughs> it was a dance too. Yeah, the it was freak. a dance called the Freak. So I said, oh. And I saw, I came, we came with somebody that was, she was more like a, a um, she wasn't hip or nothing or wasn't loose or nothing. So she came to the club and was asked, wow, it's like the first time. And then two guys ran on the side of her and was, you know, one on one side, <laughs> sandwiched her. And she was like, oh, my God, what? And then got into it. And I was like, oh, shit, that's a song. I don't want to be a freak, but I can't help myself. <laughs> and that's how I wrote that. And I put that on that. 
Yeah. Literally, that's how that works. We call that song HR in 2015. Yeah. That song, have your ass a hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of Dynasty, what was your reaction to uh, Camp Lowe's Lucini? Atlanta music? Yeah. Like, oh, that's great. I was happy. You know, I was, you know, although uh, I, I would like to, I was so into those things sampling things because it's like you do work one time and you get paid again right for not you know so that's all that is like man someone liked it again again like that's the thing like was it shocking to you like oh my god like i can't believe 20 years later like this is oh it was it was it was great i mean i that's why i knew that made me tell my son because he's into it now uh Mm -hmm. never do anything half, but you do it because you never know who's going to like it later. Nobody likes stuff that they feel you just cut any kind of way. Or, I can do that. That ain't nothing special to it. And if you start recording and doing your creative thing like that, it will sound like that. And that's how, that's why I was like, wow. We did something right if it can sell again uh, in a whole new generation, you know. Yeah, and the thing with yeah. you, like with your samples, like a lot of times, like you would hear, you would hear, you would find like samples that other producers would use, and you would hear the sample, and it's like that be the only hot part of the song, the song right, right? But your song, the songs, whole shit would be yeah. dope, like yeah. the whole, yeah. like Thanks. if in Atlanta music, yeah, it's the part they sample from the top, and folds, but the whole song yeah. is yeah. a dope song. I was like, oh man, like that's that's oh, really good. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, well, I have to. Half of that go to Ben Wright because he's a bad piece. Oh wow! Oh, Benjamin Wright did the strings. Oh yeah! Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Wright. Wow. I I tried to get him on everything because he <laughs> he loved what I did and he'd add something instead of just impact some horns on it where you know he would add another groove to it. And I was like, okay, we got Ben. Damn, That's great. Ben know. Wright was on it. Oh, ben yeah. Wright also did "Don't Stop to Get Enough." Oh shit! All right. Hey, he did uh, until Justin, the end of time yeah, for yeah. Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. He's yeah, still yeah. going strong today. Hey, question uh, with the with the Go For It album by Shalimar, the the red painting art album, yeah. <laughs> and the Friends album. Um, I mean, it was kind of weird. For, I mean, back you know back in the sixties or seventies, it it was. Normal for an act to release maybe two or three albums in the same calendar year. Um, I wasn't used to that in 1981. Like they started off the year with the with the Go For It album and ended with Friends. Why were those two Shalimar albums released in such close proximity to each other? Because Dick Griffey had a couple uh, contract obligation to finish by the end of the year, and he owed. One album on everybody. Oh, so we all had to get together and do the albums within a month or two, everybody. So I had, but I, I didn't want to put nothing out that didn't have no, at least one or two bangers that could have a chance to sell, you know. Uh, so I came up with Keep On Loving Me for the Whispers. Not Keep On Loving Me. Um, this kind of loving that's on the list, and then uh, <laughs> Yo, and this dude. this was a throwaway album. Let let him have his moment. Look, hit, man, hit Fonte. the changes <laughs> in that song, that oh, bridge, the the, the the pre-chorus that goes into, where did that come from? 
Kevin Spencer. Oh my God, man! I <laughs> yeah, love that. Like it's this. such a detour. Like it starts off as one thing, and then it goes into it goes, that, and it's like what? But then somehow it finds its way back to that hook. It's like, oh shit, that's yeah. fucking genius, man. Yeah, he went. He had a he had a couple of changes, and I, I was like, okay, no, that one. And then because I like to take it a little someplace. That's my Motown thing, I guess. Uh, I like going how they would take changes and you know you did it because you produced uh as well shalimar um let's find a time for love yeah the, the that one is another one for me where it's another kevin spencer joint ah too. okay <laughs> he was a great keyboardist though he, he he was doing stuff like on make that move when when that little he would do some classical runs with with the keyboard and he was doing it as an exercise to get ready for the song oh, and wow. I said no 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 put that in the song uh, <laughs> right after dun, 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 dun. <laughs> give me that build up just like that in the classical type thing so I would pick things that he would do but he would be the one doing it you know what I'm saying uh, we, we also <laughs> got to note that you know for all these dance classics you make I mean okay you didn't do Lady but you definitely did uh, Shalimar's for me uh oh yeah somewhere, somewhere there's a love yeah oh, oh okay. dog uh, uh, yeah, okay that, this is just gonna be the moment of uh, rapid fire <laughs> <laughs> like just the true the true geek that was part. cool that, <laughs> that was another one i played the drums on too that was when i first started drums by the numbers <laughs> like, oh do you, man with with so many hits and even the filler and stuff that didn't you know whatever the beat like do you have favorites that you've done like like yeah okay, that's uh, that's yeah. my PC resistance. Like what what are they as far as your your? Uh, the first one was I've just begun to love you, that I because I dream that. Really? Yeah, on stage that that melody. It was a it came in a dream, and I had the bass line in the dream too. All came in a dream. I keep the what I call lick savers, but they're dictaphones that lawyers used to use. By the bed or? By the bed, in the car, and one at the studio. Uh, locked up in the room, no one so can get. Uh, <laughs> no one can get. Yeah, so I, because I'd, I'd like to do a lot of spontaneous stuff that comes if it's feeling right, and you, you never get it quite the same. I know everybody try to say that, but... Uh, you know, and it was, if if it's like, oh, do that again, and I know when it ain't that again, you know. So they would say, yeah, I can get that, and then I say, okay, let me hear it, and then they do it. Okay, that ain't it, dude. You know, so I would keep it, cut it, then keep it, and use it later. You know. So, gotta ask, uh, with the onslaught of hits that you're producing between seventy eight and eighty one, which is you know just out the woodwork by this point are your brothers and sisters coming to you like <clears throat> what about us we could <laughs> what about us on that total yeah like <laughs> like uh, uh, were they like hey congratulations uh can we have well, a uh, night to remember or like you know were they uh wait didn't well, your sister write that or which one i think to your sister co-wrote a night to remember, did she not? No, uh -uh. like uh, I think it was uh, her 
name was on not night to remember uh no charmaine she wrote she wrote well oh yeah she was supposed to put foster's name on there because foster did the guitar part on uh um he created that guitar part and then i i did i heard the bass line and did the rest and put his name on but then charmaine and was he had her be the publishing company person because he was still signed to Al Ross. Oh, y'all situation. just wondering. Ah, they, ah, they put the parliament. She, uh, y'all wondering. Grace Cook. Yeah. J.S. Theracon. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I guess Foster wind up, you know, uh, putting her name down. And so wait like, a minute. When it comes to the Janet Jackson debut album, who produced that? Because I'm under the impression that you're family produced that was that you uh come give your love to me that and, was and... foster okay so he produced did do that, that. Okay. and okay. then i did an, an, a, another did one you, i forgot don't give up this good yes, thing he did don't Yo. give up this good thing yeah that alone yeah. see and that's the thing the fact that you just casually forgot that like <laughs> all right that song means everything to my dj set now in 2018 what in that ways was... you do... yeah. like it's wow. just it's it's a jam. Even yo, when I DJ parties for her, like I'll put that shit on and just to freak her out because <laughs> it's like, how can y'all forget how good the song sounds? Like oh, that's cool. it was before its time. I don't think it really. Mm. At the time it came out, it was no. Kinda... Back then, like filler could be filler, but yeah. now it's mm. like the quality of music's so bad that any good quality song is like <laughs> a filler joint. Back then yeah. is a it's, jam it's, now. It's, yeah. <laughs> That's I love that you just casually forgot you made that song. That's, I remember you sent that, tried to send that song to me and say it was a new Janet Jackson song. Like, yeah, Janet's going boogie. And I was like, no, nigga, I know this record. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, since she's the one rewriting her history, acting like the first album didn't, didn't exist. Happen, yeah. <laughs> Man. Um, so, also, okay, you're, are you familiar with the, um, the Jam and Lewis uh, Keep on Loving Me story? Yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah. How, how, yeah. Did it, how did it feel to have, and it's very weird because is this not the studio that he fired them in? We're at Sunset Sound. Was it? Sunset? Yes, they had a meeting okay. in that room. This is where they got fired. Yeah. Um, how did it feel? First of all, what were your thoughts on Prince's music circa... 80, 81, 81, 82. Yeah. And how did it feel to have him so nervous that he swears even to this day? Well, he's not to this day. Well, <laughs> not funny. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't trying to be funny. I wasn't trying to be or funny. How did it feel, at least in the back of his mind, to think that, you know, that it was Jam and Lewis that really produced Keep On Loving Me and not you? Like, <laughs> That's funny. Because, uh, Jesse was the one that told me Prince because he would want to play on some of the records and I let him play on some of the solo wow. stuff. Jesse Somebody Johnson? Jesse. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. He played on like, a couple see? of them. <laughs> he played what? on like Dead Giveaway, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think. Yeah. You did? Yeah. Think so? yeah. Yes, yeah. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget yes, who. But he's the one that said, man, 
we was we was doing a solid goal, I think. There was a show out. Uh-huh. Solid, solid goal. Yeah. I remember solid yeah. goal. It was a Marilyn McCool you said. He said in between the the songs they would play other people's records for them right. to dance. And uh-huh. he said, Keep on Love Me came on. And Prince went up over to the studio and was just listening mm. for a long time. And then he came over to Jesse and said, uh, man, I'm glad they're not into our kind of stuff. That's all Jesse told me. Mm. He didn't say that Prince thought Terry and Jimmy did it. He didn't say that to me. He said it that way. Mm-mm. But wow. they didn't have nothing to do with that. That was actually Wardell's baseline. Wardell Potts came to me with with just the bass line and keep on loving me and that's that and I said and he was in, doo, doo, doo. Mm-hmm. I said ooh that's kind of nice were you around <clears> for the <throat> okay. video for keep on loving me <laughs> like, no. the video like just no. them dancing uh, in this no. that video is, is amazing yeah we me and my man Zoe we did we paid homage right. to that video uh, for a song we did called We On The Move which did oh, not yeah. sample my any silver brother my brother my, my son not oh, okay. my brother my son told me about that cause oh he said, man He's wanted, and I said, "Oh, because I saw it." And I said, "Oh, that's nice." You know, I liked it because it was, you, so much, you know, man. that that was banging. I was, Thank you. Yeah, I was like, "Dang that," because I wanted that. to study. Man, listen, yeah, you like, just made my year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caroline jealous, like, yo, <laughs> Leah. Yeah, we, yeah, that was a total homage. Like, what was Nicholas like? What was he? I mean, he passed. I guess it's been a couple of years oh, ago. Oh man, yeah. He, he what was, was he like, man? He was great, man. Uh, he was, uh, I mean, he was the energy of the group. You know what I'm saying? He would, uh, personality-wise, we was we never had no, not one thing. It was, it was just like talking to a family member. He was cool. He was very private, though. He didn't want nobody to know nothing about him. Or where he lived, or anything like that. And Nick was like, oh, "Leon, let me give you this number. <laughs> Drop me off in the corner. Don't you get this to nobody." <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he was serious. That kind of. So I was like, "Oh, I get it, dude. You know, gotcha. You know." So he was. He was just very. He didn't have his. I didn't even know he had a family. I heard of it, but he didn't show. <laughs> he was that secretive. Oh yeah, he he didn't so play around. He family didn't want, on the other side of town or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't even want to talk about him at work. Did you produce Emergency by the Whispers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that video? I don't remember. That Crazier video. than Keeping <laughs> on Loving You, <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. And yet, uh, Nicholas, the tall one. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, one with the super might, super beard. Yeah, yeah, he might deserve a, an Oscar or something. <laughs> we got it. I mean, yeah. the song's Emergency, I, and it's them fighting over a, a payphone. <laughs> getting on a, a payphone, oh, but God. think of think of the craziness of keep on loving me, and just add a phone booth to it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to see it to believe. It. Yeah, it took it took artists I think a lot a long time to really get videos like those. Are, if you look at videos from the early ages, like you can just see videos were bad. They were terrible. Yeah. They, they try to do that now. Like even if a song like "Don't Look Any Further," like right. there's oh, a man. generation, it's, it's got a second life now. Yeah, as a meme. millennials <laughs> are discovering these videos now. And wow. actually, I just there was an article I just saw on Facebook that somebody posted. I think it's on theroot.com about um, the ten best worst uh, mm-hmm. black music videos. And "Keep on Loving Me" is on there. <laughs> that, um, should, that should not be there. Uh, That's a classic. <laughs> no, I said the same thing. <laughs> and what was the song you just mentioned? 
Emergency? No, there was another one. Oh, don't, oh, look, I any don't look any further. That, that was like the number one song. Yeah, yeah, it's got uh, a second whoa. life now. Yeah, well, well, Sh- Shalimar had one that. Uh, uh, well, they were behind a bar, and yeah, and a, in a flower place or something with it, <laughs> and in a book. Oh, uh, I don't want to be the last to know that. Really video did not make any sense it was the, <laughs> i i knew it back then when i saw it on t- and then some of the people on uh when they go on youtube and say that was, that was a weird video but i love that group you know and then someone <laughs> said that video don't make sense but jody is great you know it was like everybody was mentioning <laughs> but it, it was a you know that their, their singing was great All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. How did you uh, get involved in the Black Street album? I wanted to ask that question. Oh, my. No, right. but too you late can now. No, go ahead. Can we skip five star? Because I had a whole five star moment. But oh, all right. Go, no, we can. This is just, we rapid fire. You also ahead. skip Evelyn Champagne King and Crystal. Rapid, and rapid fire. Luscious Dame. All right, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we'll come back. No, yeah. so, go ahead. Black Street. All right, so Black Street. Well, uh, I uh, sent uh, um, Teddy Riley's manager, who was Harvey Austin back then. God rest his soul, he passed. But he was his manager, and I get, he said Teddy asked him to call me, and he found out where I was. I was living in Reno then, and uh, he said he would like to, he's coming out to L.A., and he wants to meet with me about coming back to V.A. and helping him with a group, you know, wow. that's all they said. And uh, I said, oh, okay, and he said, if you, you have something, uh, so I'll let... At that time, I was working on my wife and her sister's group. They were rappers, and they were they called themselves Onyx before. Oh wow! <laughs> before Onyx, before yeah, the other Onyx, mm-hmm, like years before. So, 
I uh, sent them their tape, and Markel got it, and he loved it and played it for Teddy. And when they came out, uh, I met him at the hotel, and I was uh, catching a flight with him back the next couple of days, and went out there, and he was, he loved. Uh, after we talked and what I did, and I was going around looking for a place <laughs> to oh, to wow. stay uh uh during that whole time you know so were you actually um like because you co-wrote before i let you go right yeah mm-hmm. yeah how did that come about uh well he would give me he told me he had some um uh, those um atari computers which was l- the beginning of logic Oh. Uh, and uh, they were built on these inside these Atari gray computers, and he had about five of them up there. But none of the other writers and guys would 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 take them to use them because they they you know, Teddy didn't come with a guy to teach him. I guess you know, so he said, "I got one of them computers over there," and I was like, "Okay, that's." The Lord telling me I got to get with it <laughs> or leave it alone. Got to evolve. Yeah. So I said, give me one of them computers over there and uh, I'll give me a book and, uh, you know, oh, you, you don't want to, you know. So I said, cool, no problem. So I took it home, learned it, and started doing stuff through there. And then when I brought a song to him with that, all he had to do was hook it up and run it through his Pro Tools and all that, because he had it all set up. And he loved that, you know. And then he started telling everybody else to do it. Wow. You know, so we we got along that way by uh, ethical work practices, mostly, I guess, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, to rewind a little bit, there was a little bit of unethicalness from, from uh, Teddy. Well, possibly with the, the group today and the song Girl, I Got My Eyes on You. Oh, yeah, well... Uh, did that ever, did that get clear? Because that was a oh, yeah, that was, was a, a it, direct it was, bite of Carrie Lucas's "Show Me Where You're Coming." From. Of course, Yo, it's, of course. Dude, thank but you. I didn't look at it as a bite because how can you hide that? I was yeah, on you, some, could, you couldn't hide. That I was at all. on some. Uh, oh, hey, we we got, check? Yeah, love it. That's why I like that song. You know, so Probably. damn, yeah, this hit me. Yeah, and I, I just told Dick and, and them, oh, we got a record out there. Hit. <laughs> it's, it's the exact of it. melody of uh, "Show Me Where yeah. You're Coming From." So that's cool. You know, I was taking it like that because you know. Can you explain the the muscle of Dick Griffey? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, the Shugnitis. Was he Shuggy? Shuggy. No, he was. He was more old school Shug. Well, I, I, I mean, he Dick was a you know he he was a. He, he he was from that gangster thing, uh, but he was more. He went to college. Suge did too, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Dick played football and and was a drummer. He's a musician, so oh, okay. I didn't know he that. knew he had a better ear than most people thought. You know, so he could hear. You know, during the time when you were producing, like you say, you were in Reno for uh, for a while. So during that your solo run, were you making good money as a producer, like getting royalties off the records and stuff like that? Well, yeah, but it wasn't uh, like the first couple of uh, records was like uh, three points and uh, production advance. I think it was 
five or ten grand or something like that for the first couple of ones. And but he wanted to sign me exclusive, and I didn't want to sign exclusive, so I didn't. I only signed exclusive one time when when I was when I had my family group come over there, <laughs> and he wanted me to sign exclusive. I said, okay, for a year only. That's you know, and uh, that's the only time I signed exclusive with him because I I wanted to go other places and uh, you know do some things and uh, <clears throat> with like if you notice on the first part of them records <clears throat> Dick put his name down as producer with me I was wondering <clears throat> how much and, of that was and, and I was like I didn't know that he was going to do that uh, I knew he had a publishing situation so he would sign he signed uh, William Shelby and uh, Kevin and and I, because cause he had his own publishing deal, so I was like, okay, well, you bringing me into this situation. Uh, so he wanted to sign Kevin so that he could get publishing yeah, and that kind of thing. But Kevin was a legitimate writer, so I didn't mind it like that. You know, well, Kevin has to get his part, so you sign Kevin, and I'll have my other, so it'll be even, and I know they doing their work, so <laughs> and I ain't giving nothing away, you know. Uh, so and helping some young dudes get their thing on, you know, so <clears throat> that was our relationship. I was the one that had to make it be something yeah. uh, more than just uh, this how it is, you know, kind of yeah. thing, you know. And me and Dick just got along. Uh, really, he didn't mess with me on what to do or what. to. And it was like, you know, when that happened, I'd say, OK, well, if you want that way, you do it. Uh, you know, you you go and get it. I'm done. And he would be. Uh, I was one time. I think a whispers thing, and they were complaining about. No, it was the it was Lakeside. I didn't even bring up Lakeside. Yeah, it was Lakeside. I was doing all the way live, and Fred didn't want didn't want a, casual hit after hit. Right. <laughs> well, you know, he didn't want. He just wanted the hook and the music, no verses. And I, I said, no, that that's not how you did. You got a great hook here. You need to let's make some burn. And he was like, he jumped up. He <laughs> he wanted to fight me, you know. So it was like, okay, okay, dude. Uh, okay, roll the tape up. Told the engineer put it back in the thing. Now Fred was big, muscles, and he was about my size, but bigger. <laughs> And he was the one he could fight. Everybody knew he could he can go a little bit. So I was like, oh, shit, big Fred, I'm gonna have to. But I couldn't see no artist knocking me out in no studio. Yes, talk heavy. So I I said, okay, Fred, we can, we can go out and try to do this, but uh, your shit still ain't still going on tape <laughs> like you want it. Let's go. So I went outside. I was looking for a pipe or something in case it didn't look too good for me. <laughs> and there was one right here when I opened the door. And I said, okay, yeah. Oh, no, let me get over here so he don't look there. And then if he getting too fast for me, I can duck, get the pipe, boom, get the ankles or the knee. Night, night, nigga. And, and, <laughs> and you can still play the congos with a cat. <laughs> yes. But, I love it. But, but it didn't get to that, you know. Uh, they came, Otis came out and said, Lee, come on in. We ain't got it. I was like, 
<laughs> is that you know? This is crazy. It's like overhit. Like no, well, he was just close to it. Fred. Some people have their own ways of uh, deal breaking when it comes to a melody or what they think is you gonna mess up in their song. Every writer, every good writer, gets a little crazy sometimes with a with what their baby is, you know. And he had one, you know. Because I know that chorus was there and that boom, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got some, dude. So I took him in the room and I said, just play the beat. And then just keep that boom, boom, boom going. Nothing. And then do, I just broke it down and gave him lick. The only person I didn't have to give a lick to, well, I didn't have to give it to none, but it came. Right. Steve hit So they're all playing small parts. Yeah. And then Fred came in and said, Oh, I got a part, Lee. (laughs) He didn't want to do no verse. And he came on with that. It laid together perfectly. I was like, okay, that's it. Nothing else. That's rocking. Let's cut. And that's how that's how we cut it, you know. And then they did. We did the. Actually, I did the melody on the verses too. I should have asked for some writing, but it was so <laughs> it was so dramatic back then that I didn't want to yeah. add that to the mix after we had a hit type thing, you know. So I said, no, nah, that's because they said, well, Lee, you you kind of wrote us. Now don't worry about it. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want Fred to get all go through something, and, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so and, what happened with? I mean, not that Solar went anywhere after 84, but it's almost like that era of, and I know music was changing by then, but uh, like, what do you feel happened after 84? Like, I consider like maybe Shalimar's The Look probably, I mean, even, did you do anything on, what was the album after The Look? The the when Delisa Davis uh, and Mickey Free were in Shalomar. Oh man, I cannot. Write. Like, did you work on any of those records? Like circumstantial no, evidence and no, but Foster did. Okay, <clears throat> actually, accidentally, he had a record that was supposed to go on that album, and well, he had actually Mickey Free was his artist, and Mickey Free was signed to me and Foster. Oh, okay. so Dick wanted his daughter was the one who was instrumental in bringing Mickey Free over, not not uh, um, the the older daughter. Okay, yeah, well, she was working for Dick, and um, she wanted Mickey Free and Shalimar when when Howard and them was gone. So Dick told Mickey he liked his look and says, "Yeah, man." So. Mickey asked us, Lee, we wanna, I wanna go over there. I said, okay, now you sure? Because we had a deal for him at A&M. Oh. Off a record call, it's party, let's party, I think. Okay. Me and Foster did. And uh, he was, they said they wanted to sign him. But he, they was gonna sign him at the, after the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So he said, Lee, they're doing a movie. I can jump in it. And I said, well, that's up to Foster now, you know, because I don't want to hold nobody back. So Foster said, okay. And but and Foster said, I got to do something on the album. And so Dick said, okay. So when it got time to do that, the dude, Wolf, who was the producer, he, Foster did a record on him, and, and Wolf said, I'll buy you out. He didn't wow. want nobody else's record on it. And I said, 
foster. I don't. What if they have a hit? You'll, you know. And he said, "Well, no, nah, that's a weak one. He can buy me out." <laughs> <laughs> so he he paid uh, Foster, I think, fifteen grand or something like that. Took the money, and ran. And Foster in the song, they do nothing. <laughs> so Foster made out. He, he made out. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that's how that. And then the rest was, you know. Uh, they had got Sydney after a while, after Howard left. Right, yeah. I forgot about Sydney coming in. They kept that name alive for the longest. Oh, even. <laughs> I mean, it's still around. Still? I mean, uh, there's, there's another two, version. There's two Shalimars right now. Oh, there yeah. are, right, yeah. Jody was on <laughs> oh, Facebook oh, going yeah. in. The Shalimar yeah. Reloaded, and then there's Shalimar featuring... Uh, Howard Hewitt. Howard Hewitt. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because Howard came back. And Jody's not in either. She's No, she's in Shalimar Reloaded. That's okay. her That's her, her oh. thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm scared. Anyway. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I, I got to say, man, uh, dog, Shakedown is one of my all-time favorite oh, songs that was ever done. King. That's like, great. That was a great vibe time, too, because dog. we heard a track. I, I She had... She, when we when she came down to do it, she had already cut some tracks from uh, Simone. Andre, Andre, Andre Simone. Simone. Yeah. And she said, you want to hear it? And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. Nobody else's. Nope. Right. So, and then later on, like after we have cut some stuff, uh, I heard a track. It was just a track. It wasn't a melody and words on it. And I said, whoa, I thought it was some art guys because I had about five rooms going. So I went up front with it, you know. Damn, that's not like a damn Prince joint. Who did this? And then she said, that's the one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dip. Oh. What the? Okay, well, let me go back to the woodshed because I really thought that track was a killer. I didn't know what they was going to put on top of it. Mm-hmm. But that track, if I had it, I would have known exact. That track was a smash track-wise, though. Right. And... I said, okay, I want some funk. I, want, I can com- I can combat this shit with some funk. Give me Ricky Smith and Foster, you know, because they both could pop good. Mm-hmm. And Foster had a thing on that uh, that uh, shakedown. Dun, 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 dun. Yes, like, yes, that turn around. Then going to the funk from there. <laughs> I was like, okay, give me that, yeah, because she's kind of raunchy anyway. She, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm saying for you know she 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 ain't from a rich family and had that classy that she was more you know and her voice was beautiful so i funk would be great for her and that's how i was marketing it and uh those that and um what's that other one Uh, action action action, action. and those were the singles and i said what the now i wanted to see what that other song was and they told me it was called teenager and I listened to it, and I said, wow, them niggas reduced that record. <laughs> Ooh, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I felt mad. Um, How can you, I mean, what they put on top of it, and then the mix was muddy. I was like, wow. Because I, I knew that track, if you would have heard it, with the yeah. yeah, with the some I guess Prince had that first mix. It was no vocals. Man, that joint was killing. I know if I would have, I I knew what it was. 
but they just took all of it. It wasn't even the same song. I was like, nothing. I got nothing from it. So I understand why the company didn't didn't promote promote it. Uh, So, I mean... I mean, we're going to just fall in the endless rabbit holes. Is there any other? You had your five star question, are you? Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Speak now, if you have a I was just going because I got a question on on, on standby. So get- okay. So I no, I just wanted to know because um, they, of course, part of your childhood if you were a certain age. But what attracted you to work with them was it because they too are a family group? I just discovered they were from the UK. I thought they were from. The UK. Uh, yeah. Uh, well. What happened with that was was the A and R guy uh, Peter Robinson on RCA. Then I was doing a group for him, um, uh, living in a box. No, it was. Dang, what's the name of that group? I forgot. Give me a second, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Trust me. They had a song called uh, "No Man Is an Island." I don't know if that was a single. Uh, you know this guy? Yeah. Okay. What was the name of that? He, they had a, this guy, the leader of the group, like Curtis Mayfield. He did Curtis Mayfield sounding music. He was an English dude. Uh, well, I forgot the name, but I was out there doing them, and he, and he said, "Well, would you do Five Star?" For, you know, and I was like, "Oh, cool." You know. Oh, you already knew who they were. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it called Living in a Box? Well, that was another group. It okay. wasn't the okay. same group. Th- that I did something on that. We, we struck up a good relationship, me and Peter Robinson. Okay. And uh, I did uh, Five Star, and uh, you know they were. Uh, I like I like them. They're the lead singer though, she she was really Denise. Yeah, she. <laughs> Where are they? Does anybody know? Um, they came out to yeah, live in they, LA, and and they uh, still do shows every now and then. Yeah, yeah. they're still around. They came to America though, and chiseled. was living out here. Was it the Blow Monkeys? Blow Monkeys, that's that. Yeah, <laughs> damn, Bill to the rescue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that group. That was that was fun. They, they, uh, that dude was talented. He knew what he wanted. And they didn't know. They asked me too, and I think it was hinging on, you know, in certain groups they 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 real intellectual. They know what they want, and they they said, "Do you know where our sound comes from, or what? Where what does it sound like to you?" And I I knew from the beginning, but I said, uh, "You have a Curtis Mayfield type vibe," and they all looked at each other and smiled, and yeah, we want him to be this type of thing. So, so I'm are- like. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go on. No, 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 go ahead. No, I'm cool. I was done. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you aware of kind of the the nouveau slash retro boogie sound of today, uh, particularly like in Calvin Harris's music, what he just released now, which is basically – his version of Boogie or, you know, the work of, uh, you know, groups like Chromeo. Tuxedo. Or Tuxi- Tuxedo even. Yeah. Um, that are, that are you know, they're pretty much taking, like, DMX drum machine sounds and your your, your live bass approach. And uh-huh. that's, like, are you generally aware of the of the upsurgence of your 79 to, to 85 work? Um, and even in stuff like, on, stuff you I, did on Real to Real and all those other groups, like, 
I, I haven't, I, I'd have to hear a song. I don't know by the names you were saying it because I haven't gotten into it. But yeah. if you're referring to kind of what, what uh, Bruno Mars is doing, kind of. Well, even then, but there's, there's a subculture. Yeah. There's yeah. a subculture of, of cats that are just like. If you could pull it up, pull up Starlight by Zoe. Okay, I will. This I was like. Say Starlight by Escort. But never mind. I, don't, I don't know. Escort. They have one too? Yeah. My son really knows. He knows all the <laughs> yeah. what you Yeah, all Starlight listen. by yeah. Zoe. This was like our Leon Silver's Whispers homage. Like this was, man, I spent so much time on this vocal trying to sound like Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> and try to mix it like how you would mix their stuff. It's on- L-I-T-E? L-I-G-H-T. I spelt it like I got a degree. <laughs> All right, while we're waiting for him to figure that out, yes. how did you uh, meet Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis? Um, they came to L.A. and we, as, as, as a break uh, from the time and Prince, and they came to our celebrity basketball game. Actually, they came to the studio and we met and I said, oh, hey, what's up? And they wanted to meet me and type of thing. And they played on our basketball thing that we did. And then we went back to the studio and they were saying they, uh, well, we're trying to get into writing with other people, you know, right now. And uh, and I was like, oh, okay, let me hear some stuff, you know. And they played a, um, a song called High hopes from a yes. on a cassette, you know, and I was like, okay, that's there. banging. I always thought that, you did that though. That's I, I, produced, I I produced. I oh, had oh. to cut everything because okay. bottom line is, Prince had gotten mad and took them back. Actually, I told them they could do reel to reel first. Yeah, I said that you can produce them, and then they let me hear what's his name later. And I said, oh, because I had signed my, I let my brother, Ricky and Gene Dozier, signed them to do SOS Band. And they were, they did it. And then they, he played High Hopes. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this and go do this on uh, SOS Band. So I flew out there and I cut it myself. But I want to hear whose voice sounded like Terry's, because Terry had a, a nice nonchalant. Oh, he did the demo. style okay. melody. Yeah, it, it, you know, and I loved the way he sounded. So I was listening to everybody sing, and the drummer had the voice that, oh, and I was wow. like, "Oh, okay, you gonna sing this?" And <laughs> and you know, they were cool. They didn't say nothing because usually the girl is the one that mm-hmm. you know has to sing. So I had her do the high oh, but. His tone sang that perfect, and I didn't want to change the pitch and go high with it. I tried it. It didn't sound the same. So I had him do exactly the real drums because he had a Casio beat. Uh, he did everything on the Casio. He had a little white Casio. And Terry oh, wow. and Jimmy and everybody, I was like, okay, okay. Let me get the cassette. And then I went out there and had him play everything with the real drums, but I right. kept that Casio sound. I went and bought one just like theirs because I did that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I wanted to make it more punchier, but I did 
the melody, maybe change one or two words, but I did the melody like he did, but I had to, with the real drum sound and everything, it was, I loved the way it came out, you know, because uh, I, I couldn't have Jim, Gene and Ricky do it because they wouldn't do it with the same Cause, yeah, because this is something I wanted to do. So I just went out there and did it, you know. And my man was happy, Clarence Avant, because, <laughs> you know, they had a record right off the bat from it, that. It's funny you say basketball because um, three of the acts that uh, you discovered, whenever Don Cornelius asked, how did you hook up with uh, Leon Silvers, they all had a basketball backstory, which I found hard to believe. Well, I, th- I think Crystal said that you met them at a fat burger or something like that. At least that was the story on Soul Train. But I met Crystal? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. At a yeah. fat burger. But yeah, with that's with Luscious Dame and Real to Real, they all said, yeah, we met him, you know, there was a, a basketball game going on and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, well, how... Big yeah, was basketball in your life that well, you're meeting all your accent. Well, I uh, I was I was either gonna play basketball or do music because that's how my, my head was into basketball and music, and so much that after I go play ball, I'd always write a song because I guess the blood flow was going and uh, you know oh, and so I you loved it ball. The, okay. I played at Verbum Day and they were the direct. Uh, UCLA would look at Verbum Day first before they go look at from any other. Uh, school for uh because they had a they verbum day would win the all cif every year and jordan high would win all city every year so those two schools came highly recruited for ucla and i was playing for for verbum day and the coach who was actually tracy edmund's father was my coach and he got moved to ucla on my last 11th Eleventh grade at Verbum Day, and he was like, "Oh, I'll see you at UCLA, Leon." And I was like, "Oh, great! Now the coach <laughs> knows me, so all I got to do is keep my grades right, shoot them jumpers, and we straight." So I was on that tip, but then after the all my whole family got signed, I was okay. It's, it's easy, quicker for us to get out the Nickerson Garden. With everybody, then me to wait four years yeah. mm-hmm. to play ball and, and you know and take them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So, Fonte, you want to introduce? Oh, uh, this is uh, Starlight. Yeah. By uh, my, my brother Zoe, uh, keyboardist producer. Um, this is from his album uh, uh, Skybreak, and yeah. this is our. We have several, but this is <laughs> my. Uh, <laughs> this is our Leon Silver's dedication. This is unreal, like to be playing this for him. You're the only one to get me on the line. <laughs> <laughs> You're the 
I hope we did you justice, man. Yeah, that's great, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's so, nice. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm nice. just saying that with with there being a whole subculture of people that are into your work, like what 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 is your uh, your your stock room, your 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 cassette collection of all the unfinished demos and tapes and <laughs> yeah. like how many songs do you have just on standby that are just well i, I uh oh yeah well, you, you know you got a lot you got i, I had a lot because there's you know certain things that don't make the grade mm-hmm. whether it's because you went to something else or uh you took the melody that was on that track mm-hmm. somewhere else so bottom line is i have I, i'm going over that Right now, because I put a lot of them in digital format. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I'm with me and my wife. We're, we're doing some uh, um, mobile type TV type things. I'm gonna have a thing called Story Behind the Song. Okay. The ones that didn't make the grade, but like you say, there's a lot from that era that today would sound great because a lot of people want to hear the authenticity of that when type you, of style yeah. right now. So when um, you open up them vaults, we want first do. All right. <laughs> right. You got it. We'll definitely oh, let's do this do this. Well, and, you know, we can work on doing it together, you know. Brother Leon, yo, thank you. Man. So God, you have no idea. This this is one for the history book, God. man. We, you changed everything about our lives and just really made it better. And, and, and man, you literally created one of my favorite eras of, of funk music, man. And I love everything about music, but your contribution alone, man, is, is, is just oh, thanks. outstanding. Thank you. you know, thank you. I can't, we can't say thank you enough. Yeah, seriously. Yes. Thank you. So, on, be- <laughs> <laughs> so on, be- on behalf of Sugar Steve, sweet, uh, it's like you, <laughs> Fontigolo, and Boss Bill, this is a very grateful Quest Love Supreme, only on Pandora, and we will see you on the next round. Thank you, Leon. So, thank you. Thank you. Man. Thanks for having me. All right. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust 
into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 